Are you tired of using subpar fertilizer that don't give your crops the boost they need? Look no further than Irish Shite, the all-natural and sustainable solution for your farm. Made from the finest blend of Irish animal waste, Irish Shite provides essential nutrients for your crops to thrive. And it's not just good for your crops, it's also good for your skin. With Irish Shite, you'll look 10 years younger. So why settle for less? Choose Irish Shite. It's made right here in Ireland. And be sure to tell your friends and fellow farmers about the power of Irish manure. This message has been brought to you by the Irish Shite Association, the natural choice for a sustainable farm. Do you know when you're like, um, you're falling off to sleep and you just have a memory of something really embarrassing? Yeah. Like every night. <laughs> uh, every so often, I remember... Uh, playing uh, uh, Gaelic football in school and uh, half time came obviously you're playing the other way yeah. and um, we immediately <laughs> we immediately <laughs> sort of turned over and the ball came to me and I started playing <laughs> my own side and I thought this is great I'm getting I'm getting a real run at them and everyone was shouting like the other way the other way <laughs> <laughs> oh no and I just have a flashback to that thinking this is humiliating I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand you warthog faced buffoon what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it what did you say you are a sad strange little man don't call me stupid Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where each week we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Will, a writer of three films plus a Christmas special, and I'm joined again by my co-host and writer of one and a bit films and three and a bit episodes of TV, Kevin Lehan. Kevin, how are you? I'm grand, Will. How are you? I am kind of emotionally broken, I would say good if we don't cry by the end of this episode then we are absolute failures this has got to be the most upsetting episode of a podcast that's ever put out i guarantee you this is going to be the one episode where we'll actually be in hysterics by the end of it and we'll whatever pick i'll have we'll end up going i can never watch that pick again because now i just ruined it for myself and for everyone else that's what's going to end up happening here now today good (laughs) <laughs> oh God, Kevin! Let's tell people what this whole thing is about. Uh, why? Wh- wh- what's the show about? What's the format? The show is we talk about our favourite scenes uh, based on whatever randomly generated topics come up on this big wheel that we have. We've got about three hundred on there. We spin it at the end of the show. Last week I spun it for you, and we got best tearjerker. The week before you spun it for me, and we got best sex scene. Uh, so. That's really what it's all about, really. We just get to sort of focus in on something quite macro. And this week, uh, as I said, it's best tearjerker scenes. The scenes that, um, without fail, make you cry. So, as, as I said last week, we've gone from one bodily fluid to another type of bodily fluid. I we're have the Kleenex to, here. here to <laughs> but like we're, the, 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 the thematic connect, connective tissue is, um, is, if it wasn't completely accidental... Is uh, is genius? <laughs> <laughs> it's completely. It's the first accident. time I've been described as that. Uh, random chance. <laughs> well, <laughs> so far, it's been working out in our favour. So I'm really curious to yeah. find out what is going to come up at the end of this episode. But yeah, before we get good. into that, I suppose um, uh, we need to get through tearjerker scenes. Yeah, and and I well, like you know, listen, I've done exhaustive and extensive research on tearjerkers. But Kevin, I'd like to I'd like to ask you what have you had to think about what films make some eye juice squirt out of your tear duct? Ugh, that's a horrible <laughs> eye juice. Oh God. Uh I have. I've I've come up with three, right, and I was trying to whittle it down. Um but the the first one that came to my mind, and I, I wanted to throw this back at you, because it's sort of like it's unique in that I've never read a screenplay that's made me cry aside from this one scene in this one script, and um, it's from Goodwill Hunting, and it's the uh, it's not your fault scene. 
Don't fuck with me. It's not your fault. Don't fuck with me, all right? Don't fuck with me, Sean. Not you. It's not your fault. that script while I was in college and uh, I hadn't seen the film yet and I was just sort of like going through it because it was Will or it was Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck and they were the it boys at the time and yeah. um, you know there was all this buzz about them being up for the, the Academy Award for screenplay and what have you and I read yeah. the script and I got to that that scene it uh, it buckled me I was like in bits reading that scene um, and I've never mm-hmm. cried at a script since but have you ever cried reading a script? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All written by some writer called Will Collins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it, but uh, <laughs> there's uh, that scene from Creed when he gets knocked out and he doesn't get back up again until he has that tiny little rem- memory of his dad. And then he's brought into the uh, into the corner and Stallone is talking to him and he's basically wanting to pull him out of the fight because he saw his dad get killed. And it's like uh, it, the whole movie just sort of turns on that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that wasn't in the screenplay. It was just, it was something that Stallone added to it. But that, I, that had me ugly crying. Closing seconds of the fight. That's what I'm talking about. But the, the one that, you know, when I was like thinking of it to mention on this, I was even getting emotional thinking about it. And it's, uh, it's the moment in Iron Giant when... Yeah. Um, you know, that was written by Brad Bird. It was adapted mm-hmm. from a book, but Brad Bird sort of brought his own life experience into it. And, um, yeah. you know, famously, his sister was murdered. And uh, what? I didn't know this. What? Oh, well, yeah, that's the background to the movie. It's that his sister was murdered and he pitched it to Warner Brothers, the adaptation, as what if a gun had a soul and what if a gun didn't want to be a weapon and it didn't want to hurt anybody. And so... Um, oh, my. The whole story of that is is this weapon that is programmed to destroy doesn't want to because of the love of a boy. And uh, it, it, it boils down to like that moment at the end where he's saying to him, you are whatever you choose to be. Yeah. And he goes off to basically sacrifice himself to save the town that's afraid of him, but to also save the boy that loved him. You are what you choose to be. And he just has that little memory in his head as he's sort of like flying towards destruction. Yeah. It's like, you are whatever you choose to be, and he's like Superman. And oh, it's, it's I so didn't know earnest that's, and Yeah. But that that really always cool. makes me choke up. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. And I didn't know that about his sister. That's that's horrific. God. Yeah, gun violence. It was her husband that, that shot her dead and Oh my god. So you can see like when in that movie when they're talking about like souls never die and uh yeah, it's a, it's it's got lots of sentiment if you go back and watch mm. the film. But it's a it's a beautiful film, and not many people have sort of, not many people that I know of have watched it. Uh, it sort mm. of passed them by, and it's a it's my favorite Brad Bird film. Those are my picks, but I'm desperate to hear what yours are. So when I got Tearjerker, I I I, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit and said I know what it's going to be. And then I started doing research and then I went, I have no idea what this is going to be because it's a weird, it's a weird one because then I started going down the the kind of the personal, because I have to get a little bit personal about this. Um, I started to think about like, you know, what was the first film I remember crying to? Like, what's the first film oh. that, that made me cry? And for me, it was without question, E.T., Mm-hmm. And it's it's that it was I remember getting really emotional the time when E.T. dies, you know, where he, before he's he obviously comes back to life. But then I remember at the end when Elliot has to say good, goodbye to E.T. And I was just in floods of tears.
And it's a very powerful moment. It's beautiful. It's really, really, really stunningly beautiful. And the more I go back to that film, the more I kind of analyse that film, it's the more heart-wrenching it is because ultimately that's about Spielberg dealing with the divorce of his parents. And Mm -hmm. it's there's a real... Even though he didn't write the screenplay, Melissa Madison did, it was done... It was a, a, a close collaboration. And it's... You know, and when you when there's something subconscious about that film, as in it doesn't feel forced or the emotion doesn't feel manufactured, and and as a result, there's something subconscious that the filmmakers put into it that, like you know, connects with us on a subconscious, an equally subconscious level that we empathise with. It does that thing as well, where it ends on a close up of a face and. Yeah. A lot of the, the really most moving endings for me, um, most recently being like Call Me By Your Name, just end on that close-up of a face that's just been fun- fundamentally changed by the experiences of the film. They always get to me. where it, You just burrow right down to it's that character that everything has um, altered within and the empathy of, of yeah. sort of seeing that up close, it just sort of can bring you to tears. But I love, yeah. I love E.T.'s ending. I think it's so gorgeous. So I started to, th- what was a joy about this was actually trying to dissect the, 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 it's not a genre, but like break down the, the, the category of, of uh, tearjerkers, right? Mm-hmm. And it really kind of hasn't been done. Uh, you can look online for tearjerkers and you'll get like Hello Magazine's website giving you the 25 best tearjerkers to cry your eyes out to, right? Um, but what, no did one they, kind of, what did they pick? I bet oh it's like God. terms of endearment and... Um, Steel no, Magnolias. It's everything that came out in the last ten years. Like they, oh, they, okay. they don't yeah, go yeah. anywhere beyond. <laughs> they don't go anywhere beyond two thousand and ten. Uh, you know when Iron Man uh, said, "I'm Iron Man." Floods. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, w- I want to give you. So I want to. I I went and I kind of broke down the tearjerker into subcategories. All right. Okay. And uh, a, a kind of an interesting kind of pattern started to 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 form and this is <laughs> and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna share with you my kind of my discoveries so okay. the first category of tearjerker is the the last loved the last love or the unrequited love tearjerker right okay. and those include films like uh the remains of the day which i just adore with anthony hopkins and um emma thompson i just mm-hmm. think that's a beautiful film You must take good care of yourself, Mrs. Ben. You too, Mr. Stevens. Promise me that. Oh, yes, I promise. You must try to do all you can to make these years happy ones for yourself and for your husband. We may never meet again, Mrs. Ben. That is why I'm permitting myself to be so personal. If you will forgive me. Thank you, Mr. Stevens. Oh, here it comes. It's on time for once. La La Land uh, is a lost love story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Casablanca is included in that. Yeah. Uh, the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Brokeback Mountain definitely is in, is in that category, but it also goes into another character we have later on. I wish I knew how to quit you. So oh, my next category, right, of tearjerkers, right? So these are all my subcategories. Okay. Are the category, is the category of, of, uh, of parents doing their damn best tearjerkers. So these are parents who are just trying to be good parents in the world. And films in this category are films like Finding Nemo, where even Nemo's oh, dad, okay. just doing everything he can to, to, to find his son. That's a in the name of, It's beautiful. Another one, In the Name of the Father, which is, you know... Um, That's also just, a gorgeous film. <laughs> yeah. And beautiful, really. Harrowing. To, to, kill a, to Kill a Mockingbird, which is just a dad, the ultimate dad, uh, Gregory Peck, mm-hmm. just trying to do his best in the world Set and an being example. a good dad. Yeah. Um, the Royal Tenenbaums. I, there's a beautiful moment in the Royal Tenenbaums. What's his name? Sparkplug. Thank you. You're welcome. I've had a rough year, Dad. I know you have, Chazzy. 
had a tough year, Dad. And and it's, there's nothing else. And I'm in bits. I'm in bits. But not like floods of tears. I'm not ugly tears, but I'm. it's enough to make me go, that's just the right amount of sincerity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just right for that film, you know. Um, another one which had me in floods of tears was Arrival. I, uh, I just... I just I bawled my eyes out in rival. Mm. Um, and so the next subcategory I'm going into is one that you've already brought up, which is the sports underdog tearjerker category. That's the one which always gets me. I couldn't yeah. give a shit about parents doing their best. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's about whether the underdog can actually score the touchdown. And I don't know anything about football, but for some reason, it always just sort of tugs at my heartstrings. Yeah, like uh, I, Rocky, you've already brought up Rocky, the yeah. Rocky series. He really got that kind of formula working well. The really thing, did, it, like. it's, I think that that is the magic formula with the Rocky series is that, you know, it's there's some there's some sense of trauma in all those films and it's about how he overcomes it. And um, yeah. it, from the first film onwards, they just always sort of like the, the, the best of that of that series Sort of have you crying and and allowing, uh, giving you the um, the freedom to actually cry and, and root for Rocky? But yeah, it's it Stallone is is a clever man. Mm-hmm. The Wrestler is another one of those films that kind of is in that sports underdog tearjerkers. Um, uh, I really like that one. And the next category is, and I this was a really interesting one. This was one that was kind of I got from reading a, a lovely article by Roger Ebert. And Roger oh, Ebert yeah. said that you always raised a quote. What's the quote you, quote you always have that Roger Ebert? Had? Oh, he's the one that said that um, films are empathy machines. Yeah, and yeah. I think that and that really sums up. For me, it's like the, the, the two types of emotions that are most sort of pulled out of me when watching a, a really good film is laughter or tears. I don't yeah. tend to get scared by movies anymore and... Um, thrillers, they're they're you know it's 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 a it's a lesser sort of peak on the emotional spectrum, but if a film mm. can make you cry or it can make you laugh, I, f- I feel like they're that's a, a real um talent, and it's just down to the empathy of the of the filmmakers. I think I read an article that Roger Ebert wrote, and he 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 wrote about how he doesn't cry in films at the sad moments. He gr- he cries when he sees good people doing well. And that's, he he nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's it's never it's just, the sadness. It's about how you, as Rocky said, pick yourself back up and keep going. Yeah, and it's a he described the and it's a beautiful word. These are um they're they're it's a sense of elevation, and these are and I'm calling this subcategory elevation tearjerkers tears that are brought on through acts of kindness or goodness elevating the spirit, and. Films that I would include in that are, I would say, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie, a toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Well, like, Pixar would be particularly good at pulling the old uh, heartstrings. They, 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 they've up, and I would say Wally as well as one of those films that is it kind of has elevation tears about um you know at the end of the story where kind of characters kind of pull together to to rescue all to rescue wally and um uh you know revive him really um the next subcategory i've i've come up with is the coming of age friendship uh tearjerker subcategory and these type of films are films about friendship about coming of age and in this category i'm putting in films like stand by me Oh, yeah. In all our lives, there's a fall from innocence. A time after which we are never the same. There's a an ache that that you feel throughout that film. But that's, that's one where you don't cry at anything you see in the film. It's you cry yeah. when the film ends. It's yes. when that song begins and the end credits, you just have this sense of loss where it's like you yes. feel like you've lost something, but it was such a beautiful like story. So yeah. that, yeah, that's an interesting because there's not really a scene in that where you, it would make you cry. It's just, it's the whole no. film as it, as it wraps up. Yeah. Where you learn, and I don't want to spoil it, but like, you know, it's the kind of, there's a closing narration 
that's very pivotal to how we process them walking away at the mm. end of the story, where which which spins reframes their the the end of this adventure in a way that's just devastating. Mm. And I'm like in bits. I just yeah, it's a beautiful film and uh, holds up. Well, Kevin, let me take well, you on to the next subcategory, right? And I think you might relate to this, right? I'm calling it the uh, There's a Good Boy Tearjerkers. <laughs> these are tearjerkers that brought on, you know, uh, from having a relationship between uh, a character and their absolutely wonderful, amazing pet. The devoted dog. Their devoted dog. Or special alien creature, Mac and me. <laughs> I'm, I'm referencing. I'm referencing uh, ET. I'm referencing uh, my dog Skip, which is one of those weird little kind of like late '90s, 2000 films that I remember seeing. The dog of your boyhood teaches you a great deal about friendship and love and death. I was an only child. He was an only dog. Okay, my next subcategory is the the real life endurance tearjerkers. So these are kind of like stories that are set in real life or based in real life, but they're about human endurance and the ability for humans to survive in uh, in extraordinary circumstances. So it's kind of like tears of relief of like I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you're alive. Tears. Um, so I'm kind of like. I'm going to reference like films like 12 Years a Slave, uh, okay. 127 Hours, uh, Apollo 13. There's a release. There's a relief at the end That's of That's a these, good one. You know? Yeah. Captain Phillips. If you've oh, seen yeah. That oh, my God. The ending of that yeah. where he's getting checked out by the yeah. um, the ship's nurse or the ship's doctor. And yeah. I think she was an actual real, uh, you know, it was a, it was a person playing themselves essentially and what they would do so it's it's very real and there's lots of verisimilitude in that okay we're gonna lay you down okay, okay. yeah all right yeah want you to lay down nice and gently nice and gently okay uh, you're okay i got you there you go uh, very good captain you're safe now okay thank you you're welcome you're okay thank you you're welcome does my family know your family knows you're safe You'll be able to call them as soon as you are taken care of. But yeah, yeah him just realising he's just been through hell and, and that guy that he was beginning to slightly empathise with has been killed. Yeah, um, it's oh, it's it's devastating. It's it's truly, truly beautiful. Um, I, 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 I think it's wonderful. But I want to bring us on to the my final category. And this is the granddaddy category, okay? This is the this is the main this is the this is the the behemoth. This is the Godzilla. Is this the one where your um, pick is going to come from? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm talking about tearjerkers, and I'm talking about I'm measuring this on a scale of of uh, of emotional uh, trauma. Okay. <laughs> so I think the the granddaddy uh, tearjerker subcategory is uh, the one to beat them all, the one to shed the most tears, the, the, the tears that have the greatest volume, is the subcategory in where we have the death of a dearly beloved character in the film. And those are the tears that really kill us. I'm going to reference films like My Girl. Mm-hmm. I think that brings heavy, heavy tears. Uh, the Boy in the Striped Pajamas. I remember seeing that with my wife and we went to a late night screaming and she was still crying the following morning. My God. <laughs> she woke she woke up crying about the boy in the spider arms. The, ch- the champ, both versions of the champ. Champ, wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Yeah, it's rough. Philadelphia. So I'm saying, I think that if you have this type of tears at the end of the film, it's more impactful. But Philadelphia, at the end, you know, it's just they're ugly. This is like ugly, the ugly tears category, you know? It's the good kind um, of cheese. Sort of like Philadelphia yeah. cheese. It's, <laughs> yeah. 
So these are the granddaddy tear jerkers. Those are the ones that, you know, cry, make you cry the ugly tears. And if you end your film with that, with this type of like elicitation of emotion, you know, expect your audience to be traumatized for, you know, days afterwards. Um, but, and, but you're, you're, I, I feel that you're, if you're, you're playing with fire, if you don't nail it, you, it can go wrong for you. You know, as a as get a, really as cheesy a and, and sort of manipulative. Very, yeah, you know, made you such great dogs. You loved us every day, no matter what. That's an amazing thing. But Kevin, I want to bring you on a on a journey into uh, into my pick, right? I'm and ready. I I've got the Kleenex. I'm ready. You've got the <laughs> you've got the Kleenex ready. Oh God! And I uh, listen. I don't want to make you cry. This isn't. Uh, it, it it's not from the kind of the the ugly tears category. But it certainly is one that's very personal for me. It's the first. I remember when I was about. I saw this when I was about thirteen, maybe. Okay. And my next door, my next door neighbor, uh, Shirley Shirley Crimmin, we were kind of like. Well, I know Shirley. How is she? You know, she is doing great, and <laughs> she said that. I don't he, think people get that running joke. Where I just yeah, anytime no, a name comes up, I just say, I know <laughs> them. Kevin knows nobody. <laughs> <laughs> But surely we were kind of like film buddies growing up. So if Shirley rented a, a film, if either of us rented films, we kind of swapped them. So we would kind of like double up on, on we would never rent the same oh, film. Oh, dude, you're just bringing back a memory. I used to have, we used to have friends as well. Wow, I completely yeah, forgot that. It was great. We'd, yeah, we'd <laughs> each rent something else and then we'd swap it over the weekend before I had to go back. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it was so great. Or go up to each or call each other and say, Come here, I got I got this film like a new release. We got it. It's like yes, and you literally just like <laughs> pick up your plate of chips and just smash them against the wall. And you say, "Ma'am, I'm gone." <laughs> Shirley's got Alien Three, you know. <laughs> she was also the person who who um, told me the entire plot of the Abyss before I ever saw the Abyss and and sold it to me so well like you know i was like going wow i don't need to see it anymore <laughs> um so we were kind of th- those kind of about it. but anyway shirley uh had re- got the call from shirley says uh new film i think you should really watch it and i remember it was a summer's day we- and so i headed up we sat down and she put on for me cinema paradiso uh And it was my first foreign language film. I'd never watched a film with subtitles before. And, you know, I, I rewatched it last night. And it's a, it's a, a lovely, lovely, lovely gem of a film. It really is. The first half of it is utterly perfect. I, 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 I truly believe it's absolutely perfect. Um to give people uh, an idea of, uh, of uh, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows exactly what this film is and but I think the, and, and also I gotta warn everyone I'm going to spoil the hell out of this film as well because my scene is the very last scene of the film <laughs> but the, um, the 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 plot of of Cinema Paradiso is that it's a uh, it's set in Italy and it's uh, about this you know, a, a, a successful filmmaker. He's you know lives in Rome and he's a fancy apartment. And he comes home to his girlfriend, and his girlfriend says, "Oh, there's a f- you got a phone call from your mom." And she said, sleepily, she says, "Oh, she said someone someone died." And he went, "Oh yeah, who?" And he said, "Alfredo." And you could just see he just turns over on his side, and his his face just drops, and you know that, and like he goes into a fetal position. And you just know something significant happens. And basically, we go on a journey with this this man. He's uh, back to his childhood, back in the small Sicilian town, and uh, post World War Two, and uh, you know the the you know, the place is in rubble really, except for the town square and the the cinema, which is the cinema Paradiso, which overlooks the town square, and the man, the projectionist, the cinema is kind of run by the local parish priest, and the projectionist is a guy called Alfredo, and he's surly and narky and all that sort of jazz, and there's a real great sense of community there, like, there's so many characters there, there's they all know each other, and they all know each other's quips and quirks and all that sort of stuff, but 
uh, this film director now we, we go back to his childhood and he's this little kid cu- he's, and his nickname is Toto and he is as the cu- young child actor who plays him is th- probably the cutest kid that's ever been put on uh, on film like he's really genuinely precocious not in an annoying way but just like really I don't know he's, he's very sincere and he's very he's got a great personality and he's also the, the, this kid is just passionate he loves movies more than anything else in the world and he just wants to get into Alfredo's projection room to be able to see how the, the, the projector works and he's trying to steal like you know little frames off the floor from Alfredo and, and Alfredo's like well you, this isn't your property and he's like mm. literally kicking him up the arse down the, down the stairs and um and the only way Alfredo can kind of get rid of him is by saying, you know, that there's all these like there's a big bin full of like uh, clips in the corner of the in the corner of the projection booth, and and he says, well, can I have these? And Alfredo says, right, you can have them, but they have to stay here. And he kind of gets rid of the kid. Mm. And what's kind of fun about uh, this kind of setup is that the 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 cinema is run by the local parish priest, and he's censoring like every single film that comes in like you know so he sits there in the audience with a bell and anytime there's any form of like touching or or intimacy or nakedness or nudity like he rings the bell Alfredo knows he's got to clip that shot or clip that little scene and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and these are the things that pile up in the corner Um, but anyway it's what I loved about this film in that first half is that basically the cinema for this community was like their was like their living room it was it was more like their living room. Mm-hmm. Is they were they were going in to watch the news. They were going in. They were everyone was talking amongst each other. They were watching music videos, like before music videos. They would watch several movies, and people would come in just to sleep. People were coming in, and they were kind of like getting it on the back and all that sort of jazz. And I uh, like it, it was like a, the whole community went to be entertained in this one place. And there was a real, the film captures this beautiful sense of that, this beautiful sense of place and people and uh, a kind of a familial love, you know, b- between them all. And Alfredo's like becomes little Toto's dad. And, uh, and it's just, you know, everyone there is like, it feels like a cousin, you know, everyone's sitting on top of each other. I think that's what's, what what this film captures in the final act eh, when Toto goes back there is that sense of over and like don't get let's not I cannot state how important Ennio Morricone's score is in this film like without his score I don't think you at all would get the same emotional potency but it is absolutely overwhelmingly beautiful and it just in, in another film in it's it's also overstated. <laughs> it's, it's also I feel that Ernie Marconi's scores are, work really well in a fable like setting, like in the uh, in the spaghetti westerns. There, I think they I think his scores are kind of they fill the room. You know, they're not mm. they don't like they don't lie underneath. You know, like like lie there quietly, um, but they fill the room, and I think they work really well. And for me, there's a real potency to, uh, to 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 his score in this film, where I can just listen to the track to the, some of these themes, um, and just really get feel overwhelmed with emotion. Where I'm getting to with this is that basically, when poor old Toto uh, leaves to return back to Rome to his normal life, before he leaves, um, uh, Alfredo's wife, she said he left something for you, mm. and what it is is like a, a film reel and. And he hands the the film reel off to a projectionist, who, by the way, is the the director, writer, director Tonatori himself. Mm. And the 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 actor playing the 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 director is sitting down in a kind of like a empty screening room, and he sits there, and the lights goes down, and he's just kind of like waiting. And all of a sudden, the film kind of clicks in. You got it, it, it starts to count down. We don't see what's on screen first of all, but what we see, the camera focuses on 
Toto's face. Now it was a kind of a, a silver-haired man, and it slowly dollies in on him. And as the, the hand that was up against his chin starts to drop as a genuine, genuine expression of being overwhelmed mm. is captured on his face in the same way that the expressions that they, they captured in the audience's face in the first half of the film watching the movies felt very sincere and very real and what's been projected on screen was revealed and it's these old black and white silent clips that poor old Alfredo was forced to snip from the films from back in the day and what he's done as a blind man as that he spliced the entire thing together. All of these, like, I don't know how many clips he spliced them together. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? It's like it's it decades on. Of, it's, of kisses. Yeah, and it's all sorts of, it's humorous, it's like there's nudity, but then there's gentle, like, you know, it's all sorts of things. Just whatever the, the priest deems pornographic, he saved it all, like Charlie Chaplin stuff. But what I found so beautiful about it is that it's... A perfectly measured piece of storytelling because the first interaction we see between Alfredo and little Toto was that Alfredo, Toto said, oh, can I have these pieces of film? Mm. And Alfredo says, well, well, if you leave, you can have them, but they stay with me. And Alfredo, like all these decades later, remembered that and he kept it together and he put the energy into cut this beautiful piece of footage together. And it really, for me, is absolutely gorgeous because it's kind of his only way of from beyond the grave to say to Alfredo like you know this is what life as a father I feel it's a more I feel it's a more intimate thing it's 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 more simple it's more like I love you it's I love you the way a father would say I love you to a son it's the only thing I can give you I'm using the only set of tools I have right now Mm. And when the man is watching this, his eyes just glisten with tears, with genuine tears and genuine joy and happiness. And Ennio Marconi's score is playing. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And I am feeling in this moment what I'm feeling. The, the tears are, when I'm watching the scene, are glistening in my eyes. And I am get a sense of elation, like, you know, tears of elation, of my own spirits being lifted. And he's, you know, the filmmaker's taken us from a place where, yes, we were crying tears of grief, of despair and grief over the loss of a beloved character, you know, uh, and only a few minutes beforehand. But because of this gift through time, we've been given a beautiful finish uh, where our spirits are lifted and the, the, the credits roll and we see clips of Alfredo. The first thing we see on the screen is Alfredo is a, a young man and he's vivacious and he's, he's cheeky and, and it's just glorious and life-affirming and, and they're, they're happy tears. You're, you're finishing this film with happy tears, Kevin. Um, so that's, that's my long-winded pitch. It's a lovely scene, so sweet and it, it really is a love letter to film as much as anything else. Last week, I asked you, um, have you ever written a sex scene? Uh-huh. And I assumed that you wouldn't have, because, you know, what you've written so far, you've written some, um, for those that don't know, you've written Song of the Sea, co-wrote um, Angela's Christmas, uh, Wolf Walkers, which is the one that everyone is watching right now, and that's a gorgeous emotive film. And uh, I'm sure you've probably written something that's made you tear up. Have you? Uh, yeah, the embarrassing answer is yes. <laughs> I think, yeah, I have I have written um, uh, things that have teared me up. And I can actually, weirdly enough, it's such a kind of um, potent memory of an odd and strange experience of actually tearing up when you're writing a scene. It's It seems a little bit, in one, in one sense, narcissistic, but also in another sense, it's like, it's almost like being in, a, in the third person mode um where you're kind yeah. of going oh shit this is this is this is happening and it's almost like you can see the the scene itself unfolding like i you're projecting yourself forward into the future when you're in the audience yeah, watching you're the in the, you're feeling the emotion of that scene like i specifically remember writing the the big emotional kind of beat in song of the sea is is at the end when they you're saying goodbye to their mom and she comes back from the day mm. to say to like one last kind of message and they're saying goodbye to her 
let you stay too long, please? My son, remember me in your stories and in your songs. Know that I will always love you. Always. And I genuinely wrote that uh, with a sense of I need to get this done because it's been said to me. You know, it was that. It You're was being a conduit for something else. Yeah, and I'm not being. I'm, I'm not. I'm no, not trying to listen, say this. I, when people talk about the zeitgeist and stuff being out there in the ether, I personally 100% believe that at some stage the story wants to tell itself. Yeah. And you just have to translate it as fast as you can from what's out there in the ether and if you don't do it somebody else will catch that moment and catch that that um that idea that wants to escape whatever intangible um region where ideas come from and and emotions uh, outside ourselves come from Mm -hmm. um because of the zeitgeist and because of like you know you write something and somebody else is also writing the exact same thing and i think stories just try to find the right conduit to travel from one realm into the next and that sounds all new agey and stuff but for me it's the only way that I can explain solving problems that mm. um, are beyond me that I never could have practically or rationally uh, figured out but they just sort of reveal themselves and it's like divine intervention where I you created a problem yeah I created a problem and the solution solved itself through mm-hmm. the natural uh, flow of the story and uh, yeah, so to crying with with writing things, I can totally believe it being, you know, that 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 outside yourself third person sort of vibe. It 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 it's true for me when I'm writing anyway. And another thing I've learned from having kind of like done it and like all of my produced scripts in in one way, shape, or another, is that any time I I never ever go into any of these scripts intending or knowing this is going to be the big emotional moment, this is going to be the big emotional scene, you know, I, I always go in thinking, well, how am I going to write this? And once once I feel, once I truly, tr- I, I, I can feel it like on top of me or in me or coming out of me. And anytime I feel that when writing a script, I now know because I've been through the process that that emotion somehow gets across to a reader somehow gets across to a director somehow gets across to an actor and if all, and uh, an editor and and the composer and somehow that emotion is like passed like a chinese whisper and ends up in the eyes and ears of an audience and they feel that emotion that i felt that someone i felt someone was telling me to write or the characters were telling me to 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 say when i was transcribing the scene it sounds crazy but it's that's, it, that's the it, best it way I can describe it it makes sense to me and, and I know exactly what you mean in terms of um, it feeling natural because when you try to force that stuff you, it just doesn't work it just yeah. feels like bad karaoke that's heard through a, a, a thick wall it's yeah. just it's it's in it's undefined and it it, it doesn't sound as good uh, and, and writing an emotional scene as well it's like you've got it's like you've only got one or two you've got a limited number of those bullets in a whole film like the whole it's like once you've like released that catharsis that emotional catharsis in a film you it's very hard to reload your the story reload the audience in kind of like you know you're building up to this kind of like emotional release and once it's released it's released you know it's um you only get one shot and you got to get it right in a film. Uh, you can over-egg it, it can be overplayed, it can be underplayed. But I think the worst thing is if it's overplayed. I think that's where it can get go really wrong for you. Where the sentimentality feels very plastic and hallmark. Yeah, yeah. Anytime I've ever been told, this scene should have people crying and it's never worked. It's yeah. <laughs> absolutely never. It's always just fallen flat and uh, and just not being sincere. 
Um, I I, I want to. Uh, there was one specific thing on Wolfwalkers. There was two scenes that still give me goosebumps in Wolf Wolfwalkers, and it's um, no, this is spoiler stuff. Um, but there was one scene where the little girl Maeve, she uh, she her her mammy is kind of asleep in a coma in a cave, and she returns to uh. her mammy after ha- basically making friends with this girl, excited, saying, "Mammy, I've made friends with this girl." Mm. And when I wrote that scene, I remember. And it was subtle. It wasn't big. It was basically her being really excited and telling her mammy that this is, you know, isn't it great? I've got this new friend. But then the mood changing and she then goes from being this, you know, excited girl, delighted that she's got a new friend to being a girl who's worried about her mammy. Made a new friend, mammy. Matoni. But a nice one. Her name is Robin. She's taller than me, but I'm stronger. And she brushed my hair and gave me this flower. And she's from a place called England. And we're going to meet by the oak tree tomorrow. And she promised to help. And, and, where are you? He promised you'd come back. But it's been so long now. Are you lost? Has something happened to you? Robin will help me find you, Mammy. She promised. There's two of us now. I remember mm. in the line of dialogue, when I wrote the lines of dialogue, I remember getting the kind of the chill up the back of my spine feeling this poor girl. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like, oh, this is going to work for the audience. I went, this poor girl. I felt sorry for her, you know? And then we didn't really change it uh, uh, through the process. And when we came to the day of the record, little Eva Whittaker, the, the actress, she was her first time doing anything like this she does her first read-through of that chunk of dialogue and I remember she played it perfectly of the excitement and then when she got to those final few sentences she knew how to she just she played the the perfect note where I started to well up I was sitting across from her uh, like like 10 whatever a few feet away from her and I looked across at the directors and we're all welling up and no one ever said this is going to be. No one ever said this is how this should be played. No one ever did. She played it that way, yeah. and it's amazing. It was just like magic to me. I just went, "Wow, that's that." Because we all knew it. It was real to us, you know. You were talking about uh, scenes that would make you tear up, but you talking about that had me tearing up because that's like the stuff that you dream of as a screenwriter. It's to sort of capture those emotions and to send them out into the world and to hope and to pray that other people will be able to hear what it is you're trying to do and that it will be received by audiences. And um, those are really special moments. And yeah, I'm so glad I asked you because that's beautiful. So that was um, my my best tearjerker scene. Um, I, I went for a fairly conventional one. I I was going to go, I was going to go esoteric, um, but I just went. Do you know what? I'm going to go for one that did, was a very seminal kind of tearjerker scene for me. And um, yeah, so I chose Cinema Paradiso, and um, I'm not going to apologise for that. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> We're Kevin. I'm so sorry, Kevin. It's okay. It's okay. It's all You've right, broken Kevin. me. <gasps> Listen, you, it's good to Last cry. Last week you said, did you need a cigarette after that? And No, I need a therapist after that. <laughs> but think of, this is just, you're releasing the stress toxins, Kevin. Oh, yeah. You're going to feel so much better once you've got this. Get it all out, buddy. Get it. No, take that snot. No, just just use the tissue for the snot. There we go. Yeah. Done. Now, very good. And, now, sh- shall we get on with business, Kevin? Let's do it. Let's, let's figure <laughs> out what next week's going to be. Okay, so now that we have the tearjerker behind us and that's in the bag, it is now our, I suppose our uh, our, our our duty and our uh, our, our role to figure out what where Kevin has go what is Kevin's topic is going to be for next week, and I I have a big big wheel ahead of me. So Kevin, are you ready for me to spin the wheel? I am. I'm too okay. messy. <laughs> I said it right still this time. I still haven't looked that word up. <laughs> At least I got it right it this time. Uh, you see it? Okay, here we go. I'm I'm going to spin the wheel. So we're spinning. I don't know why you're getting nervous. <laughs> 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 
best musical number scene, Kevin. Okay. Best musical number scene. How does that sound to you as a topic? That sounds uh, like I have a lot of research to do. <laughs> yeah. But it's It'll be going a to be ju- great to listen to. It'll be a jukebox episode. Yeah. Musical number scene. So, hang on a second. So, this is like, uh, you're going to musicals, obviously. First port to call. Would that be it? That's it? I, I would, yes. Musicals. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, going right back to Gene Kelly. I'm thinking. Right. I'm thinking fun songs. Yeah. Something that I would listen to over and over again or watch over and over again. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to have to dig into there's that. so many. There's oh so God, many. There's so many. Aren't there? That's the problem. There's too many. There's con- I've got so much homework to do. Ones. <laughs> and then there's regular films that kind of just throw in a musical number just to be awkward. Like what? Like uh, Blazing Saddles. Get off your hands. I don't know the words. Put on your hands. Push out your tush. Love that one. Well, then now we know what your uh, favourite musical number scene is. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. You put me on the spot, so... <laughs> well, then, next week, best musical number. Yes, I'm looking forward to it, Kevin. I, I, and I'm, I'm just having a visual image of the opening to Temple of Doom. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah. The scene that... Anyway, that's a story for another, another, another day. We'll Can save we it. We'll save it for next week. I've got a story to that. Kevin, are we going to do our uh, where can people find us thing? Oh, people can find us on uh, Twitter under uh, at bestbitspod and uh, both our handles are under there but I'm um, at Kevin Lehan and you are I am Willems Fillum W-I-L-L-U-M-S F-I-L-L-U-M Awesome. On Twitter. Check us out on there and uh, please subscribe and all that good stuff and we'll talk to you next week. Alright, good luck. Thank you. Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. With the films and the, with the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't you throw what? <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the latest Okay, right. I'm gonna find the fucking thing because it's gonna be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, of yeah. course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho yeah, That's exactly so. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God, I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kev and Willem from the telly and the latest film. Talking shit at the dynamic duo. Don't forget, no yours, three euro. I come off the stage, old <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs>
I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could happen. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, so I'm saying, you just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm raring to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I I know is I saw a poster very recently. It went... There's a Madam Web film, and I'm what is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought. I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. It's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless, and you know you just have sound stage after sound stage and. I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films where I feel like uh, yes. there's nothing organic happening in these from the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels it's artificial wafer thin just wafery artificially no sustenance no satisfaction you know protein in it whatsoever you feel like oh yeah. wow I just, I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry it feels like eating plastic okay on the whole, it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it, was, it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madam Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I have to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but you it's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, 
It's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Thank you.